Secretary of State was extremely careless and negligent in handling our classified secrets. Reporting that President Trump disclosed highly classified information to the Russians. The president wanted to show off. President Trump suggested that Comey should end any FBI investigation. I think we could do with a little less drama from the White House. Governing tweet storm to tweet storm is not a sustainable strategy. This president needs to have some grown-ups around him. I think the last thing the president probably needs right now is for Vladimir Putin to be vouching for him. Well, we had a very, very successful meeting with the foreign minister of Russia. Welcome to Freak Out and Carry On. I'm Ron Suskind, joined as always by Heather Cox Richardson, historian extraordinaire. How are you, Ron? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Good. This week, we've got a special guest, Yoni Applebaum, senior politics editor, Washington bureau chief for The Atlantic. And he also has a PhD in history. Is that right, Yoni? Yeah, that's Heather's fault. Really? <laughs> yes, I was on his dissertation committee. Oh, good God. I feel like I'm surrounded great. here. It's a great dissertation. This collusion. Is there collusion here? <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to investigate that. So, so, Yoni, why don't you lay out the two biggies of this week. One, of course, President Trump reveals highly classified information to the Russians right at the top of the pyramid of classified. And two, the Comey memo. Jim Comey, FBI chief, claims Trump asked Comey in one of their encounters, and there's quite a few, to stop investigating former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn. Ayoni, you're in Washington. What are you feeling? If the first hundred days of this administration were, were President Trump promising everyone a new hope, we're now in, in the second hundred days, which are really uh, the institutions strike back. This is a president who campaigned against elites, against the system, against institutions, who is discovering to his enormous chagrin that they've done their homework and he hasn't. He walked into the meeting with the Russian foreign minister and ambassador and their aides without apparently, according to his staunch defenders, having done his homework and read the classified memoranda, he'd only sort of absorbed the top lines. And so, and this is remarkable, the defense that his own national security advisor has lodged here is that he, he couldn't have purposefully divulged these secrets because he didn't even understand exactly where they'd come from. Are they saying, as McMaster and others saying, he didn't understand the nature of secrets? Or he didn't understand that these things were secrets. How does he even judge what a secret is? Yeah, so this is, he understood that there were secrets here and was clearly trying to boast and impress his guests with the quality of the intelligence he had access to. He apparently, uh, to believe his defenders, and this is remarkable that this is the defense and not the prosecution, didn't understand that these were shared by a foreign intelligence agency, didn't understand that he was jeopardizing potentially according to his critics, at least the source of that information, um, which is reportedly the Israeli Military Intelligence Service. And so you have a president who tries to pass off something casually in conversation and commits an enormous gaffe that his administration is going to struggle for a while to recover from, except that at the same time he did something else remarkable, which is that he asked the attorney general to leave the room so he could talk directly with his FBI director and then, uh, according to the memo that, that nobody's actually seen as yet, asked uh, FBI Director Comey to go easy on Mike Flynn because he's a good guy. 
again, Trump seems not to have understood how the game is played. But James Comey does understand how the game is played and, and exited the meeting and, and recorded the conversation in a memo, which he then shared with associates. And after Trump fired him peremptorily and with no warning, he is uh, apparently now having his revenge by allowing these memos to leak. You've got two sides of an equation here, Yoni. On one side, you have malicious, corrupt, in collusion with the Russians to become the president. On the other side, you have, he's confused. He's incompetent. He doesn't understand how the rules work. Hey, don't be too hard on him. He's new to all this. Those are very, very different narratives. One kind of lets him off the hook. And look, we ran into some of this back during the George W. Bush administration because he was a newbie too. You know, I don't understand. I'm confused. And, and people use that as a defense. Which is it? Corrupt, incompetent. I don't think it's incompatible to have both incompetence and corruption. And the, the trick here is that it seems to me that President Trump um, doesn't understand what the presidency is about and does believe that he could come up and, as you say, blast Washington to smithereens and somehow be a success and yet has discovered that, in fact, we do have a system that is now starting to grind him into very fine particles. There is a reason for a working government. We have one. And yet, you know, when you think about the people who have come from the outside of Washington, they are not uniformly incompetent. We've had some really quite successful outsiders. And of course, the biggest one that comes to mind is Eisenhower, who came with no political experience into the White House. He, of course, had bureaucratic experience from both World Wars I and World War II and was brilliant at what he did. But this idea that somehow that there's a game being played in Washington that is hostile to outsiders, I think is a very recent idea. And it comes really really takes off. Nixon grabs hold of it very, very tightly by saying that he is an outsider and people don't like him. Even though he's already been vice president. But it hits Carter especially hard. Yeah, no doubt. And then it hits Clinton. But before that, there was this idea that somehow if you were an outsider, you needed to be a smart outsider who could figure out the bureaucracy and could figure out your way. But people certainly embraced Eisenhower. They embraced well, to some degree, they embraced previous well, figures like they they elected accomplished men who they knew could run up learning curves. Everyone understands new to Washington is going to be a little while before you get your your hands on the lever and figure out how to work them. But you're right; there've been a, some outsiders. Ike, certainly, who have done very well. Well, and you had Woodrow Wilson, who was also an outsider, but he came and started throwing his weight around, so he didn't do quite as well as the others. But the idea that somehow it's somebody from the outside is destined to have a period of floundering is really not accurate. Okay. Yoni, let me ask you a question. This White House is in utter disarray. Uh, what's your take on that? Where does it go from here? Because sometimes these White Houses uh, get their footing back and sometimes they don't. Yeah, well, this one's pretty bad. you got to stretch for parallels. The early months of the Clinton administration were pretty awful uh, with McLarty in there as, as chief of staff. And Clinton did eventually professionalized his staff. He brought in more D.C. insiders. He empowered his chief of staff to run a taut ship, and he turned it around. Although by then, the early scandals eventually led to the appointment of a independent prosecutor, independent counsel, who ultimately led to Clinton's impeachment. Right. Whitewater to Ken Starr to Monica Lewinsky. Right. But let me just say, Clinton had a capacity to see things as they are and self-correct. And the question is, does Trump have a similar capacity to get his White House upright? Well, it's, it's a little horrifying to me that uh, when you talk to folks in the White House, 
not only are they by and large fairly paranoid about their own jobs and about the maneuvering and, and the warfare within the court, but they've never actually gotten a grip on this president. Most staffs defend their president and carefully control access to him. This is a president who likes to call out, likes to seek counsel from dozens of people outside the building, and who in recent days has concluded not that he doesn't have enough people who know how the system works, but to the contrary, that he's surrounded by insiders and he needs to go back and, and reach out to the loyalists who are with him in the campaign. He is moving in exactly the opposite direction that Clinton used to stabilize his own White House. And so at this point, there is no sign of improvement. And in fact, things may get worse. That's a great insight. Yoni, uh, thank you. Great trenchant insights. Oh, pleasure to talk. Uh, We'll be right back. So, Ron, can you explain, really explain why this leak matters so much. What is it about what President Trump did in what seemed to have been an informal setting in the Oval Office with the Russian foreign minister that has got people so incredibly upset? He has the legal right to declassify whatever he wants. Why do we care about a conversation that these people had? A president arriving in office, the first thing they'll tell him is the most important thing that keeps America safe at this point is what we call liaison service relationships. So when you say services, you're talking about people who are spies collecting intelligence. The Saudi intelligence service, the Jordanians, the French, the Germans, all the intelligence services talk to each other now in these liaison relationships, so-called. And why are they so important? Because the, the destructive power that was once reserved for nations can now be carried by small groups of individuals. You mean like terrorists? Terrorists. Okay. But doesn't it make sense then for him to have shared that information with the Russians? If if everybody needs to know this stuff, why not share it with the Russians? Because you've got to do this carefully. Not everyone's on one team. By virtue of revealing this to the Russians, they know who provided us this valuable information. And folks allied with the Russians that are not allied with us now know that too. That means someone will die in the wake of this, almost for sure. Someone who ran an intelligence operation to get inside of ISIS, for Christ's sake, giving us the most precious stuff that saved lives probably in America and Europe. Now that person is knowable, knowable to people who want to kill them. That's the way it works. So right now, because of what Trump did, someone will die almost for sure. You won't hear about this person probably. And a key thing they managed to do, which is an enormous victory, sounds like infiltrating ISIS, you know how hard that is to do? That whole operation collapses. And what does that mean? That means in the great scourge of terrorism, there might end up being real casualties. So loose lips really do sink ships. Yeah. In this case, what seems to have been a a slip, simply a boastful slip, actually endangers American lives, a lot of American lives, as well as our allies. Indisputable. But Heather, at the source of this thing, of this mess is the question mark. What is this president's relationship with a hostile power, the Russians? Are we dealing here with with some sort of treason? You know, what are antecedents in American history that are going to match this? Well, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this. And when you think about people who've given away 
information to foreign powers. It's almost always during the Cold War, and it's almost always people who end up going to prison or even being executed for actually giving information to the USSR. So, you know, I had to think a long time about what this looked like to me. And the only thing that I could find that was comparable, an official, a government official, who actually gave valuable information to a hostile power was Benedict Arnold. Mm. And what's so funny is everybody hears that and they instantly think, oh, traitor. But the interesting thing about Benedict Arnold is his larger story, because I think it does matter today. And that is that he was himself a very talented army officer. And he was instrumental in establishing the basis of the American Revolution. He really was winning at places like Fort Ticonderoga in 1775. He went on to play a big role in Saratoga in 1777. But what was interesting about him is that he had a very large ego. Mm. And he got very frustrated because he didn't think he got the credit he should. Oh, boy. And he needed money in a big way. And Did he have any real estate holdings? <laughs> Well, he ended up figuring you know, shortly after Saratoga when he gets passed over for a promotion that he thinks he should get and it goes to somebody else, he switches sides. And his argument is that the American cause is no longer viable and that he's heartbroken at all the, the death and destruction he sees. But there's also, of course, the issue that he needs money and that he's upset that he's been passed over for promotions. So his actual motives are not very clear. Um, he's put in 1780 or so, or 1780, he's put in charge of West Point, and he makes arrangements to turn it over to the British. Now, what's fascinating about the story is that plot gets foiled, and he realizes the, the plot has been foiled, and he knows that the gig is up. And one of the first things he does, actually, is to make sure his wife gets escorted to safety so that he does, in fact, show some care for her. But Washington recognizes what he's done, and um, and he ends up being investigated by Congress, and it's clear that he has committed treason, that he has tried to turn over the West Point to the British. He does officially switch sides to the British. He gets a pension. They end up paying him off. He ends up eventually moving to Britain. Doesn't live much longer after the war. But what I think is fascinating about that comparison to today is that we remember Benedict Arnold not as a hero of the American Revolution, despite his extraordinary things that he did for the country, but we remember him in history as the American traitor. And if anybody has any human tracked immortality, it's how history remembers someone. And when I think of what's happening today and I think about the choices that people are making, I think about the way history will remember them. Mm -hmm. And the idea that you would sell something so cheaply and recognize that it's going to echo down the ages, I find enormously sad but also incredibly hopeful because most of us would like to be remembered well and would like to rem be remembered not like Benedict Arnold or perhaps like our current president, but like another man during the revolution who was actually also a spy. His name was Nathan Hale, and he was also from Connecticut the same way. Tell that, me about Hale. The same way that Benedict Arnold was. It's a great character. And he, he is a great character, and most people don't remember his name necessarily, but they remember that he was the man who offered to scout behind British lines in New York City to find where the troops were. And when he was captured and hanged for being an American spy, he allegedly said on the gallows, I regret that I have but one life to give for my country. And that seems to me to be the way that most of us would like to be remembered. So this moment is, I think, unprecedented. But it offers some interesting thoughts about history and politics and how, how we might move in the future. You know, these are both strong-willed men, 
Benedict Arnold, Nathan Hale, who did things for reasons. I think one of the question marks we have here are what are the good enough reasons, quote unquote, beneath Donald Trump's actions? Like, I believe that we all do what we do for good enough reasons. Sometimes they're, they're not your reasons or mine. Sometimes they're repugnant to us, but they're good enough. And right now, the question is, what are Trump's good enough reasons for acting the way he is? Well, I would suggest actually something a little bit different on that. And that is that the question is not how he justifies his actions, but whether or not we can justify them on the same grounds. I think it's clear he's not thinking about we. He's thinking about me because that's the way this guy rolls. It's what's in Trump's head. And maybe we'll find that out before disaster reigns. Heather, another fun day. Thank you. Good to be here. This is Ron Suskind for Freak Out and Carry On. So don't freak out. And do carry on. Our show is produced by WBUR in Boston. We're produced and edited by Catherine Brewer. Our engineer is John Parati. Our executive producer is Iris Adler. Music for the podcast, courtesy of APM. APM.